Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Glenn Banton. I've been looking forward to this conversation because of the amazing work Glenn and his team are doing at OSD. OSD stands for Outperform, Serve, Develop. OSD is committed to enabling veterans to thrive through community engagement. This is how they do it. Social connectivity, professional development, and community service. Since 2010, OSD has positively impacted more than 1 million veterans, active military, and their families. I'm amped to discuss with Glenn Banton how he and his team are helping our nation's heroes thrive. Glenn, welcome to Get Up Nation. Hey, thanks for having me. And heck, man, if you're amped, I'm amped. I always feel the crowd. So um, right now, it's a, it's a crowd of one and millions. So um, it'll be awesome. But yeah, thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let's get into how did all of this begin? OSD. I mean, it's become something incredible, but take us to the very beginning. Yeah. So my, my very beginning is actually after the, the organization started. So, you know, the very beginning is, is, is really interesting. But essentially, you know, OSD was started as an organization sending video game care packages overseas towards the latter part of 2010. Anybody that's, you know, served and deployed, I think certainly appreciate it. And, the, and by this point, I mean, the, the number of, of active military that, that have seen those video game care packages is in the, you know, tens and tens of thousands. The reason why that had happened, it was, you know, delivering generationally relevant support to the troops. You know, you look at things like your toiletry items and whatnot, and while certainly back in the 2000s, maybe early 2010s, those were appreciated at this point now in 2020, there's no lack of appreciation. But if you're, you know, if your corporation's like, hey, we want to send you know, toiletry items to the troops, respectfully, they're more likely to end up in the dumpster, not because of lack of appreciation. There's just too much of that. But where's the gap? The gap is luxury items. Let's call it what it is. But, you know, what's a luxury item provides a lot more when it's, again, video games, it's tabletop games, it's coffee and those sorts of things. The, the thing I'd really want to hit on is, you know, how did we get from that to where we are now? That's a lot of what I got brought on to do is, you know, how do you take this you know, interesting concept, this unique concept and turn it into something that's bigger. And there was no initial intent to go, okay, how do we turn video game care packages into this massive ecosystem? A lot of that turned out to be a byproduct of just how the community was responding and what they were needing and, you know, market conditions and all these different things. But the core of it was how do we provide a service to our, you know, to our troops, to our veterans, and then, you know, growing into their, you know, their spouses and their families that helps bring people together through shared experience as a way to address mental health and wellness. And, you know, I would say you one of those big challenges over time, and these are the different pathways, you know, we can go down as we chat, but, 
you know, a lot of people, even myself, would initially say, well, you know, video games in that context certainly has some benefit, but there's also some challenges you have to work around because if you're constantly just living online and that's the only place where you're going and having those conversations and those connections, you're missing something that we require as humans, which is, again, shared experience in physical spaces, developing relationships. And, you know, that's probably the number one medicine before you need, you know, have clinical requirements for dealing with and addressing mental health issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the, the depth of this and, and the foundation that's built here is just tremendous. I love that focus on wellness and mental health. And I love the word thrive and just we're, we're all going to deal with adversity and our service members and their families volunteer for adversity. It's not something that just happens to them. They know it's going to happen and they willingly do it in service of our country to keep our country safe, to face our country's challenges and they take them on to their own lives. And so to give them appropriate support. And we'll talk a little bit about relevance here here shortly, but I just love the attention to detail that you're targeting there, really doing great work. So at OSD, one of your commitments is teamwork. On your website, weareosd.org, it's written, having steadfast support on all fronts gives us the freedom to keep our eyes on the target. Value-aligned partnerships enable us to deliver world-class services to our veterans 24-7-365. Google, Accenture, Xbox, Onnit, Microsoft, Black Rifle Coffee, Starbucks, FanDuel, and more are some of these partners that love what you're doing and wanted to be a part of it. As the CEO of this organization, what has impressed you about people wanting to get on board with what OSD is doing? I think a lot of it is the willingness to look at, at outcomes, really, or, or get beyond just the surface level of a cause. And again, this is one of those challenges that anybody in my seat in any nonprofit, any cause-based, you know, heck, man, you know, churches in your neighborhood. These are, these are just those human behaviors that we have to figure out to work around. And at scale, they change constantly based upon the type of technology and the ways people communicate. But what, you know, when you look at those, you know, those fantastic brands and organizations, oftentimes, at the core, it's a, it's a business relationship. We're in the business of efficiently and effectively impacting veterans, you know, in, in the way OSD does it. And that's where those relationships, you know, use the word you love, I love it as well, thrive. And, you know, you take a peek at them and it's less about how do we do this one thing, this one time in a vacuum and more about how do we align organizationally with values and goals as it relates to impacting veterans, working with the military community, working with spouses, working with families, and really tearing down what I, you know, I kind of lovingly say, it's that, that bleeding heart passion for the cause, which is wonderful. We need a lot of that. But at the same time, you also need somebody who's got their you know, feet firmly planted on the ground to actually utilize that unbridled passion towards something that's positive. And I'd say one of the most fun parts, like genuinely fun. I, I love building businesses. I love building these types of relationships is when, you know, you get a call from, you know, use Keller Williams as an example. We've done some amazing work with them and, you know, they'll call like many other corporations and they reach out and they say, Hey, we love what you're doing. They see the entire ecosystem and they say, we want to we want to do care packages, you know, not just a few minutes ago. What, what do we say about corporations and care packages? And respectfully, you know, I said, no, you don't. You know, I, I know why you think you do, but you, you don't. Let me educate you a little bit about that. Let's talk about goals. What's the purpose? What are you actually doing? A lot of stuff, you know, resonates or comes out of corporate social responsibility or the marketing group. You know, those are, those are typically where we work. Let's talk about goals and outcomes. And, and maybe we still end up doing care packages for some reason, but let's figure out the why. And, you know, using the Keller Williams example, you, we kind of broke it down. We find out, well, there's a specific day Keller Williams around the United States has called Red Day. And that's a day where the entire Keller Williams, you know, community and staff goes out and does a service project. And they just knew they wanted to do with OSD and they just knew they wanted to do something for veterans or military community. And so we kind of flipped it around based upon those very basic requirements. We, we made a couple of inferences because they're in the real estate industry and said, hey, why don't instead of doing the care packages, we go out and how about, you know, in, in a particular, you know, region, in this case, it was one that happened to be in Central Texas, we're going to go find five you know, veteran families that have homes that need varying amounts of repairs and cleanup done. And again, varying, some of these were pretty insane. 
And let's, you know, we'll help lead your 250 volunteers to make a no kidding ground level impact on some families. Well, obviously that worked because Keller Williams, not only people love real estate, it's brand aligned. There's a bunch of people that love swinging hammers and, you know, everybody loves breaking stuff and burning things. And that's what that day turned into. But what ends up happening, not just the vet, because this is, this is the key, I believe, with a lot of, you know, social responsibility and charitable work, altruism, is you need to look at both sides. We've got the beneficiary, the veteran family's mind is blown. Their life has changed. You know, a bunch of stuff's been taken off their plate. But we need to make sure that the support network and those individuals are also becoming fulfilled and understanding what drives them. Because the more we can change how they interact with, you know, in this case, again, the veteran community in a way that's replicable, then the next thing doesn't have to happen inside of OSD. Because that's, you know, I don't, I don't want OSD to, to ever claim to be the end-all be-all. And, you know, while I'd love to be the next great 100-year veteran service organization, more importantly, we need to be driving a methodology and a way of thinking that extends well beyond, you know, our edges to where it's just part of the community. So we've got the, uh, tons of those amazing stories. And then on the other side, you know, tell the shorter version of it, but we've had companies reach out, you know, same thing. Hey, we want to do care packages. And we have an honest conversation. In reality, it's because it's an optics piece based upon the public perception of things. And that's not the time for us to go change the, you know, the conversation. Or they say, well, it's because we're doing our management meetings. We have a two-hour time block. It's more about a team-building exercise. And I'm more going, okay, shoot, well, you've got 200 people on this, 200 people for two hours doing you know, care packages, which by the way, like OSD doesn't do hygiene care packages. You know, we're sending, you know, fitness and video games and tabletop games and, and coffee, but we make it work because in that really what it was from OSD's perspective is I've got a captive audience now for two hours where we get to talk about how OSD approaches veteran community, what our ecosystem is, why it is the way it is, and how, again, whether or not they decide to go throw an OSD shirt on and go do it in the name of OSD or otherwise is irrelevant. It's being able to enable somebody to go out into their own community and say, you know what, I get what OSD is saying, which is the basic sense of, you know, here's how we approach mental health. And the individual responsibility is, you know, hey, brother, take my hand, let me show you the way. And it's that simple. That's great. And that's what I wanted to ask you. So largely you're dealing with the civilian military gap and how the experience is not shared and such a small percentage of the population serve in the armed forces. So there's this profound gap between understanding each other. How often are you like, I'd say translating or, you know, engaging in, I don't know if diplomacy is the right word for it, but how often are you bridging gaps between civilians who may not understand and veterans who have a, a unique experience? How often are you having those conversations that are just bridge building between these two groups? Every waking hour of the day. I mean, so I'm, I am the, I am the bridge. I'm, I'm a civilian. I've been working with vets formally and informally for probably coming up on almost 20 years. And a lot of the interactions in the early part of that is, again, hindsight 2020 is probably what leads us to this conversation today. And it goes both ways. I mean, part of it is in some cases in, in certain demographics of the veteran space, having a veteran understand the tongue in cheek part, I can probably say pretty freely now. But yeah, I work with a lot of younger, you know, former enlisted, mostly army, some Marines in some cases where just the the ability to understand where your next opportunities are and breaking down the, you know, the part that's been drilled in your head. Well, you know, the army told me that I can do anything if I put my mind to it. And it's like, well, yeah, sort of, but that doesn't mean you can like just suddenly go be a lawyer without going to law school. And And I say that because it's a little bit over the top, but the point being is you've got kind of similar things on the civilian side where there's this, I think the biggest challenge we in this community face today is almost, in some cases, too much respect for the military. Not that it's a bad thing. It's almost misplaced. It's, a, it's that challenging, as I say, absolute value curve where, you know, the general public looks as veterans as either, you know, broken slash bottom of the barrel or heroes, and there's nothing in between. And in reality, you know, for every vet bro, which is what, 
you know, I think your average civilian, if they were to like pick the veterans out of the crowd, that's what they would point to. But for every one of that, you know, guy or gal, there's somebody wearing Armani in a, you know, an executive suite, and it looks more like a bell curve. And so a lot of the conversations and advocacy work on doing this are, are oftentimes in big corporations. And it's, it's sort of with the OSD hat on. It also, I'm an advisor and instructor for Google VetNet and Bunker Labs. I'm on the SBA's Small Business Administration's Veteran-Owned Business Committee, where we actually, it's appointed where we help with policy around veteran-owned business and entrepreneurs. And it's being able to tell those corporations like, hey, veterans as a group are the most diverse single group, like veterans are diversity, which is a real difficult thing in, you know, diversity and inclusion world of 2020 for people to wrap their minds around. But you did, if you go, if you and I went and rounded up a thousand random veterans, right. And we just kind of put them out in a field and then we brought just random, you know, general population and said, Hey, go pick the veterans out of this, this thousand. They'd, they'd probably convince themselves there's a hundred in there, but they'd never understand. But at the same time, you know, again, and I don't know which of these battles are worth, worth, worth fighting and some aren't really battles, but how much of the general population knows that, you know, the guard is who goes first when we deploy. Again, and that even just understanding that factors into some of the fundamental challenges that we've had with mental health and wellness and, you know, the VA or, you know, how many how many people realize that not everybody is like a trigger puller or a door kicker and that the military also is the, the strongest response to disaster on a global scale, or they're doing lots of things in medicine and innovation. But, you know, again, average population doesn't. So most of it's educating on these real basic levels. And when I get somebody that says, well, you know, I don't support the military because, you know, president Trump is the commander in chief. And, I say, like, to me, that's not a political conversation. To me, that's the opportunity to say, no. And it's not as basic as, well, you should support the military because they volunteered, blah, blah, blah. It's, no, that's, that's not the proper way to look at it. You're looking at it as a tool. I'm going to adjust your point of view based upon where you're coming from to point out and say, hey, did you know we have entire fleets of ships, you know, ready to help when disaster strikes, you know, when that hurricane hit, what, you know, what is the biggest single group of people that often shows up to United States military? Like, that's what the world wants. And I think that's the last thing I, I'd say that we're constantly advocating about is some of the industries I, that we work in, some of these partners, obviously, they're international brands, but there's a major misconception in the United States of the global view on the United States. We get, you know, in some of the industries we, we have support from, we actually get more support from European companies in those industries than we do in the United States. And I'm not saying that to put down the US-based companies. I'm just saying that as an example of it's it's a lot different than what we think. But again, I think that's a byproduct of living in, you know, a, an amazing, prosperous country that's certainly not flawless. But we lose sight of you know, all these wonderful things we have, including those that have gone and served. Right. I'm just so happy to be talking with you today. It's nice to get into the details of the reality of what's happening, where a lot of people, like you were saying, it's an appreciation for what the military does, but not wanting to know more than that gets uncomfortable for civilians to kind of dig deep into the details of that. And so a lot of opportunities are missed to really allow each other to thrive, connect, build and grow. So I love that you're really kind of confronting this daily and creating a more educated populace and a more educated military. So one thing that I wanted to also touch on is when you're serving veterans at OSD, that you talk about being relevant to their evolving needs over time. And certainly with so much suicide in the veteran community, I really like that focus on what's relevant to their needs over time. Certainly there are deficiencies and gaps in care for those who go overseas, who serve, who come back from, you know, the realities of warfare. And oftentimes, you know, military credentials won't transfer to civilian credentials. And it's so powerful for men and women who have served in the armed forces to come back and bring all of their expertise and experience into the civilian job world, whether that's entrepreneurial, whether that's working for a big company or whatever it is, there's so much value 
there. And oftentimes our veterans get kind of isolated and disturbed by not being able to plug in and connect and use the skills and, and experiences that they've had in a meaningful way. So will you talk a little bit about how OSD is meeting the needs of veterans coming back from their service and keeping your actions relevant to their needs? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a few things in there, so I'll try to try to be a little less long-winded than the normal. So one, one of those is, is recognizing that most, and this, this is probably a personal belief that's, that's really been pushed kind of down into, into OSD, is I believe everything is a people process and problem-solving issue. And what, you know, what is all that? It's all communication at the end of the day. And so like, even when we look at the, the philosophical or the aspirational side of what are we trying to achieve with OSD as an ecosystem, and we look at something like professional development, first and foremost, I believe that's communication development. And it's part of it is, under, you know, if you're a veteran, understanding your audience and who you're speaking with. But a lot of it is being able to identify opportunity and identify relationships and understand why why you need to have those. And, you know, from the most basic sense, and I'd say this for the, you know, the civilian side that's, that's interested in, in wanting to support veterans, you know, you kind of compare yourself to the, the military peer group. So whether, you know, you get out of high school or you go to college or whatever, you get a job. And if you're on the civilian side, during that process, you have the opportunity, should you choose to develop this network that especially in, you know, whether you think we're in the inf- information economy or the attention economy, the reality is, is it is 100% about who you know, and that's actually a good thing, because it means that your abilities to communicate actually will outweigh knowledge in some cases and outweigh capabilities in other cases, because if you can help connect the dots between those that have capabilities and knowledge, that's, that's hugely valuable. But while I was able to go off to, you know, college and go the, the working route and develop that, my, you know, peer that might have enlisted or even maybe went to college, did ROTC and got in as an officer, they're not. Like your, your network that you build is, is, down, is borderline useless to if we want to get real at the moment you're trying to get out. And that's the hardest part to deal with. And so it's figuring out, again, how do we... How do we encourage the veteran to take the personal responsibility that there's still no handout? You're not actually entitled to anything other than an opportunity, but hopefully pushing the narrative on the civilian side where it's like, hey, with a veteran that is self-aware, wants help, is willing to do it, it's how can you bring them up to speed as quickly as possible? And those are some, again, it's a challenge because it's, you have to look at it from a one-to-one perspective over time. We can, again, OSD can have it as an aspirational philosophy, and we can show it in execution at the ground level across different types of events. But, you know, it, it, as much as we want to see the action in individual event or activation, we're trying to encourage somebody to just understand that mentality so when they're away from OSD, they're able to you know, continue to have the same. But almost, I mean, on a very frequent basis, I mean, I'll talk with all sorts of men and women that are, you know, transitioning out. And I said, the, the biggest challenge is, you know, as you're coming out, most of your transitional workshops and training and whatnot is all overemphasizing the resume. It's things like you said, it's, it's translating skills, which my personal opinion is that's irrelevant because, what you think what you think your value from the military is and what the civilian population or even veterans that have already transitioned after a while you you know you start to realize that you're a veteran but you're also a civilian but there's still even a gap there and it's understanding that if you can just communicate with other people you're better off you know going to a coffee shop and learning how to read open body language sitting down asking somebody about what they, you know, what they're working on and looking for the opportunity, if it is given to you to share more about yourself, then you are to send out a hundred resumes a day. Cause on paper, you just look like a whole bunch of other, you know, dudes or gals that have this, you know, seemingly the same history. So I don't know how much that actually explains it, but it's, it's those things where I think somebody like yourself and others look at pieces of that, but it's, you know, which parts of that are whose responsibility and then what do we do about it? And I, I still believe it's, I have the worldview where at the end of the day, almost all of us, it's, it's our own personal responsibility to be open to accepting help and asking for help 
And then also realizing that it is all about communication. And if you want a job, something, depending upon the study, says up to 70% aren't even publicly listed anywhere. So how do you find those? You have to be able to listen and you need to present yourself as a solution to a problem. Somebody might not even realize they have. And guess what? When you start negotiating things like job flexibility and salaries, that becomes a lot easier of a conversation because then you're suddenly unique. They're only you are the solution to that problem as opposed to what's, you know, what's the issue with sending a resume in. You are on a stack of resumes and your ability to differentiate yourself is extremely limited. And I don't care what your background is. Yeah, I love that. People want to be around people that are upbeat, inspiring, knowledgeable, egoless, and you know, they want to spend their time at work enjoying their work and achieving things and doing good and accomplishing things. And if we can't communicate and if we're just, you know, waving a resume in front of everybody that it doesn't get us there. And so certainly, yeah, being able to really be thoughtful and effective in your communication to demonstrate some of these values that you've learned, the team cohesion, there's so much divisiveness and largely a lot in healthcare. I'm seeing that people are stressed, overworked, frustrated, you know, and not necessarily enjoying their work or their coworkers. And so to be around somebody who exudes that team mentality, that listening ear, that emotionally intelligent understanding of and the value of each teamwork, like people often underestimate or mistake the fact that people who serve in the military, they get a very quick awareness of how valuable life is because they're trained to go into environments where life can be gone in an instant. If anybody with any kind of military experience really has a dose of that, that reality that nothing is guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. The promotion's not guaranteed. None of that. And so if once we get to the point where we can just kind of accept this as a reality that all we have is basically the present moment and the best things in our entire life will be the people that we care about, that care about us, that we have a relationship with that's meaningful. Establishing that is profound. And then it creates people wanting to be with other people to do good things and to achieve things, reduce drama and stress. And just, I guess that's my perspective on it. And maybe maybe a little bit of response to, to what you've said there. I mean, the best thing in life is people and, and doing things with them, right? And so it, would you agree that our military families, that would be helpful for them and to, as they make that transition out, and as certainly part of your ecosystem of developing that in them so that they can thrive, so that we can have unity between civilians and, and military, so that we can make the kind of America that's worthy of the sacrifices of our fallen. I think that's it's a profound reality that we need to embrace. Yeah, no, you, you hit the nail on the head, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rephrase a few things you said there because I think anybody that that listened to this really needs to follow. And this on both again, this is both sides: this is the veteran side and the civilian side. When you look at any professional environment, again, whether it's healthcare, technology, shoot, you know, we could get into a lot of the you know a lot of the blue collar jobs that have larger offices, you know, a repair shop. The challenge we've run into again from a professional or business perspective is corporate culture and like which parts are real and how much is baked and why and really understanding what values. And this is less about the other conversation of does a company live out, live out its values as they say they are and more about when I'm asked why I enjoy working with veterans. And this is, this is a theme you see through all of my jobs and companies for, you know, for a number of years it's just the appreciation for the work and the job and the basic sense of, as you said, the people. I don't need the extra stuff. I really don't. And again, everybody's different. And this is actually one of my biggest challenges as a leader is I know as you develop a larger and larger team, you need to be able to understand and appreciate the varying motivations. But super broad stroke across a lot of the veteran community in the professional space, it's like, no, you know, I want to, I want a job that's, you know, fulfilling. And sometimes fulfillment means I need to take care of my wife and my kids or my husband and my kids. And that's my, my passion is making, you know, earning a living to do that. And other times it's because the actual work aligns with an area of interest or the, you know, a certain set of expertise. But when you're there, I've always had trouble wrapping my mind around these other things, you know, the extra happy hours and the catered lunches and the bring your dog to work. And like it, to me, it always seemed fake. And I'd always found that 
you know, the veteran community or, you know, a lot of the vets I've worked with have had, have been similar. And so what I say very often, especially when I'm speaking to just groups of veterans and almost hundred percent of the time when it's like to a student veteran group, there's lots of civilians like me, tons of them. So a lot of the, I would say, you know, cliche goes both ways. Veterans have a lot of cliche opinions of what they think civilians are and civilians with the veterans, but there's, you know, a lot of those are not necessarily true and certainly not at scale. And there's tons of civilians that would much rather work with other people that are saying the things that you and I are saying. And that has nothing to do with being a veteran or not. That's just, that's a mentality. And it just, I think happens to index more into those that have served, whether because you had it before you went in or it was you know stoked up a little bit more. And I think those realities start to break down whether we realize or not that, that lonesome feeling, you know, even though when you're, I think when you're a veteran, you're transitioning and you see this in, in lots of different life transitions that are massively different between careers, between even, you know, you go and get your, your PhD and you go out and get a job. And that was years and years and years and years in one culture. And now you got to switch it to something else. And it's lonely, even though there's a bunch of other people going there, but it's realizing if there's even one other person that's sitting there and saying, Hey, I'm doing the same thing as you. Let's do this together. Like that's enough. I think that's where our culture and society and, you know, it's the, it's, it's the Instagram filter of, of the current world is we forget that life is actually a lot more simple. Success is a lot more simple. Relationships are a lot more simple. We can't manage 300, 700, 10,000 relationships. And who really cares if you can't have one per- begin with one person that you can rely on and, you know, tying that back all together. And, you know, you mentioned with, you know, suicide specifically or more complex mental health generally, I want to see, and this is veteran space and just population at large. When we lose someone in our community because they've taken their own lives, I want to, I want to s- stop seeing all the Facebook posts or social media posts that says, you know, Hey, that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody needs to know if you need something, you can call me. Screw that, dude. No. If you actually care, you need to you need to figure out who's the first person. Like, you got to stack rank your life. Who, who are the six people you're going to be responsible for, for calling and reaching out to? And actually do it, even when things are good. And those are, those are the parts where it's like if everybody did a little bit of lifting, it would, it would help. You know, and then macro level, because I, you know, everything's political at the end of the day. Who cares about national politics if you can't figure out who your neighbors are and get involved? Because everything is about relationships at the end of the day. It's the shared experience. We can all have differing backgrounds, but that's where we can come together. And that's where I think stuff gets interesting. And let's face it, that's what I believe. You know, when you go and enlist and you, you, you join the military, I believe that's why people do it individually and certainly why many families have been, you know, basically pr- producing troops for years. It's just something that's, that's inherent in, the, in our DNA. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, to be distracted, there's plenty of things to be distracted by. But at the end of the day, you know, if we want, I'm a big proponent of looking at your life from that perspective that it's not forever, nothing's guaranteed. And so at the end of the day, it's, who you spend time with and the, the intimacy of friendship, you know, your spouse, just eliminating distractions to the point where you're attaining that simplicity because that is the truest of success where you're present for your kids. You didn't miss their lives. You, you didn't take anything for granted. And then you can live without regret because you were present because you were there. That is so profound for it's what children need. It keeps relationships alive. And when we focus on having relationships that continuously discover the awe of living and the awe of this world that we live in and all the freedoms we're afforded and those who have sacrificed for us to have so much of what we have today, your life can be lived in endless honor to honor those who came before you, to honor those in front of you, to honor those in your community that are suffering I, I agree with everything you're saying, and it's profound to have those shared experiences and wellness and to help people get out of dark trenches that we find ourselves in as we deal with illness or, or challenge or adversity. Now, you've been dealing with this 
for years, especially in your family. And I don't want to get too much into your business if you don't want to talk about personal things, but your wife has been battling brain cancer and you have been a profound support to her. If you're interested in sharing more about that, there are many people in Get Up Nation who have dealt with cancer diagnoses, are currently battling cancer, who have lost people to cancer. And so if you could speak a little bit about your experience of of living in support of someone who experiences suffering as a father, as a spouse, is there anything that you'd like to comment about with regard to resilience and how you can sustain that type of consistent commitment, even when things are often very hard? Yeah. I'd I'd say uh, coffee and humor. (laughs) That's that's the way to do it. I mean, kind of digging into it and our our situation is unique in a number of ways. You know, she was diagnosed with brain cancer almost eight years ago, and it's not, you know, not getting too deep into it. But number one, you have a big challenge with brain cancer is that it's basically the most fatal. It's also one where when it comes to different types of studies, they fail more than anything else. And that makes it challenging to do more and more research. And then there's also, because of that, not a lot of options for what you can do. So, you know, there's no, there's no curing, you know, there's no curing brain cancer very often, like brain cancer is not something that goes into remission. And then also between different types of brain cancer patients, depending upon where the tumor starts is almost totally, it could be the same tumor in 10 different people, but depending upon the location, it's, basically a different diagnosis and prognosis versus if you look at, you know, breast cancer, testicular, pancreatic, all those, it's, you know, it's on this, you know, same thing in the same place and you deal with it more or less the same. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit more cut and dry. And the challenge over the course of eight years is it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing symptoms and, you know, the different treatments themselves end up causing a bunch of other things there's not, within the brain cancer community, there's not a lot of, there's no support system, let's call it what it is. And a lot of it's because the majority of the support systems in it are for pediatric or for retirees. And most people don't live very long with brain cancer. I mean, in general, with a lot of cancers, oftentimes the the journey is, you know, relatively short-lived, you know, under two years. And you know, sadly, either the individual, you know, they, they die due to, due to the the progression or the symptoms, or again, it's, it's taken care of. It's, it's in remission, it's in check, and they're able to hopefully continue on and go back to what they're doing. And if it comes back again, it's almost seen like a new journey. Whereas what we end up facing on a, you know, for eight years in the long run, and certainly for the last three have been insane is it's just constant change, symptoms, understanding, and, you're working in actually, you know, with some of the, the greatest doctors that handle this, I have no complaints about insurance and those sorts of things. Society just doesn't know how to handle this level of chronic disease for this period of time. It, it's, it's hard. So even when we look at like our own support systems, and it's funny because, you know, as we're talking about on the veteran side, you're developing these, these, these different support systems, we have to be very agile and figuring out well, what can we do as friends to encourage people to want to continue to be friends with us. And we've probably turned over a lot of our friendship. It's almost every two to three years because it's tedious to be around this sort of stuff. You know, but when you look at the, the key of what you're, you know, why we talk about this and, and resilience, you know, number one, this ended up influencing me to even take a look at and, and take the job as the CEO of OSD to where we're having these deeper conversations, number one. I truly believe if my wife wasn't diagnosed, you know, who knows, maybe I end up somewhere down this path, but certainly not at the time. And it was because, you know, I was helping grow a large technology software company, Ploy7. I was responsible for something like $22 million a year and a big team and, you know, doing everything from smart weapon systems to working with Disney on stuff. But what I didn't like as we got larger was the culture. And it wasn't that it was a toxic culture or anything. It was, to me, based upon what was going on in my life, I wanted to go to work and do work because that was fulfilling. And if relationships came as a byproduct of that, great. And I I must say, I kind of push back a little bit because, you know, I think when tough things happen, at least initially, we start to 
whether we want to or not, start to compare, you know, our suffering to others. And, you know, I, I was so frustrated because, you know, the millennials were complaining about how the cold brew coffee machine was out. And, you know, what a world we live in where that's the worst part of your day. Now, looking back, I think that's amazing that that's the worst part of their day. I don't put that down. Like, that is their brain cancer. And that's okay. And there's no reason to try to say, hey, kid, you don't understand what life's like. That's stupid. No, you like, I wish my life was not necessarily like that, but like that it's just understanding we're all different. You can't, you know, you can't compare suffering. And when you look through this in the context of, again, being a husband, that's in addition to running, you know, as a full-time CEO of an organization, but also being a full-time caregiver where I probably, aside from just being a husband, you know, we're going to doctor appointments and I'm on phone calls easily 15 hours a week, if not 20 or more in some weeks. And it's trying to look for what are the ways that we can learn from that. I believe my ability to communicate or even share what we're talking about here just with words has gotten a little bit better and a little bit sharper. But even my understanding of you know, neurology and behavioral psychology and how the brain works and how it processes things and how we handle with suffering and how that factors into kids, it's all applicable to what's happening over on the OSD side. But, you know, I'm not going to lie, like it, it is a, it is a struggle and it's this constant, you know, up and down from, you know, depression to being overly excited and trying to smooth out those high highs and low lows to understand that, you know, contentment. And I know there's a, the new wave of stoicism that are, you know, that a lot of people are kind of, you know, it's not necessarily my flavor of of thought, but, you know, somewhere in there, it's the contentment of understanding that, you know, life is about struggle. It's what you do with it, it, that, is what matters. It's, you know, there's, when there's friction, what do you do about it? And some days it, it often feels like if we're faced with a choice, it's okay. You know, you need to jump off a cliff. Do you want to roll down the granite or do you want to roll down the limestone? At the end of the day, you're going to roll down the cliff. And it's just trying to figure out how to balance that while motivating others. But the, the big thing, and I think it's a tough part. And it's, again, if there's anybody that happens to hear this and is, is stuck, especially on the longer end of things. You've been dealing with a, a constantly, you know, progressive and degenerating, you know, disease over time and you're in your 30s or 40s. A lot of, the, a lot of those don't have a support network of any size because, again, most of your peers aren't here. That's, that's the reality. Or a lot of the support programs are for people older and younger. So what do you do? You know, you have to get creative. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You got it. It's the of the uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote. You know, do do what you what you can with what you have where you are. Like to me, that is the most simplistic way to look at this. There's always blessings around us. If I want to step outside and literally stop and smell the roses, I can. If I want to see the beauty that's around me, if I want to see the positive impact that this is able to make, I can. And that type of context then leads to, again, it, it breaks my heart that that my wife's having to go through this and seeing what, you know, how it's, it's you know, damaging her and what it, I know it will ultimately do. But I also know when we go to her infusion treatments every week and we go visit the doctor's offices, she lights up the world of a lot of the others that are suffering and for the nurses and doctors she works at because perhaps that's her purpose. Perhaps it is to be that shining light for those people to where she'll overlook her own suffering. Even, even when we're in an emergency situation rushing to, you know, the, the infusion clinic because you know, she's nauseous and she's in lots of pain and that needs to be dealt with. That's why she's there. She'll see certain people and it, it goes away for a minute. But what's the, again, going back to this theme we have, what, what's the, like, what's actually happening there? It might be acute, but it's because she's physically in a place sharing an experience with others. That, that period, it, it is that simple. And that is a medicine. In her case, it's acute and you still need the actual medicines. But that, that to me is this pervasive theme across all of this stuff. And again, I don't know if I'm crazy or I'm constantly like trying to just convince myself that things are different than what they are. But, you know, having done that version of things for eight years now with the past two years being, you know, 
various forms of chemo most of that time and multiple additional brain surgeries and radiation and, you know, and getting to a point where there's very little else that can be done. But again, it's, it's, it's where we are right now. And you can choose to have that weight push you down into the ground and it might from time to time. But, you know, what do you do on a personal, whether you're going through to your support network for it, you know, your caregiver, you know, go, you got to go talk with somebody, you know, go, go talk with a therapist, make sure you're squared away, make, you know, be open about it, not because you're trying to overly expose what's happening, but if you can't be honest and, and talk your thoughts out, you know, beyond your own head, again, what do we do? We all just spin like, you know, it's, it's a spin in, in the mud and that, that's not, that's not good. That's not healthy. And we, we can't just solve our own problems by keeping it in our head. So again, every day is a new day. Today could have something crappy happen, but heck man, I've had a heck of a lot more positive days, you know, with my wife, with my kids, you know, with work. And hope is that if today isn't, isn't one of those days where the cards are dealt the way I'd like to, I just need to know that tomorrow or heck man, even next hour might be that thing. And it, it always, you know, this, this too shall pass is, is certainly something that if we're willing to acknowledge that there are good things that are always happening that helps pull through those particular tough times. I know that you've been thinking a lot about fatherhood, anything you want to say on that note? Yeah, obviously. So a little bit of context. I've got two kids currently. My daughter's 16. She's a junior in high school. My son's 12 and he is in sixth grade in middle school. My daughter will end up likely being valedictorian. My son's also a high academic performer and he's the captain of the cross team. We do not put a lot of pressure on them, not because we're some, you know, hippie family or, some, you know, all these cliches. It's more, we approach a lot of the things the kids go through in a way that we want to lower their concern and understand that if you have like a test tomorrow or you have a big thing that happens tomorrow, whatever's going to happen is going to happen once you step into it. You've got the math decathlon. You have to be able to, you know, step up. The main thing is, again, with all this different context and what we're going through, you know, number one, I want to be able to show them what we're trying to accomplish, whether it's in OSD or it's the context of, you know, how we as a family get through, you know, mom's cancer and, and those symptoms. And really, again, with my kids being, you know, my daughter's a junior in high school, my son's, he's in sixth grade, you know, they're high performers. She's already actually been accepted to the college she wants to go to. She'll likely be valedictorian. My son's a high performer and the lacrosse uh, is defensive captain's lacrosse team. But we really focus on communication relationships. It's understanding that, you know, when you have things that you need to resolve with your peers, let's, let's talk about it. Like, let's talk through, let's understand every, you know, somebody could be having a bad day and they understand why it's because their bad day might be because what's happening at home and that sort of just understanding or empathy is huge. And then the other piece I would say, you know, when it comes to you know, whether it's, you know, tests or it's, it's performances or these sorts of things is really just laying out that consistency of inspiring them to focus on working and training and studying over time and just have a culture of learning in your home. Because by the time it gets to the spelling bee, there's nothing you can do that morning and it's okay. And I think that's where like, especially my daughter, my son, a little bit less, less of this because a lot of his stuff's more in athletics is by the time you get to that day, it is what it is. And, you know, she's won these things and she's smart. She's sharp. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of what's going on is not just intelligence. It's your ability to deal with, hey, let's tie it all back together. It's the resilience in the moment. You know, you're under pressure. You need to perform. Some people can and some people can't. And so what can you do to set that up? But yeah, I think I, I love I love being a father. I think there's little better in this world than, you know, watching these amazing kids grow up and, and see them be able to handle things the way they can. Absolutely. All right, Glenn, I know that you have to go here. Such respect for you, what you do and your family. So I just a lot of gratitude for you taking time today and we'll be in touch. All right, brother. I appreciate you. And thanks for everybody listening. At this point in the interview, Glenn had to cut it short to address the needs of his family. So on Glenn's behalf, I will take the opportunity to answer the final series of questions on every Get Up Nation interview. Who are you thankful for today? I am thankful for Glenn his intelligence and integrity that is creating positive impact in the walls of his home. 
the streets of his neighborhood, the states of his country, and beyond the borders of the United States. And now that we've covered who I'm thankful for today, I will cover what I'm thankful for today. I have immense gratitude for those of you who give of your time, attention, and money to expand this global network of positive people who are transforming their adversity into solutions that create legacies of profound positive impact. How do you fuel the fire within you? By sharing the blue fire of Get Up Nation with all of you and stoking the flames with each person's insights into resilience. What is one thing adversity taught me to value? Present moment awareness. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? To that, I say nothing is impossible. And I have deep gratitude for every moment I get to live, breathe, and invest in positive networks of resilient people and systems. What will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? I will keep relentlessly driving forward without quit, shredding apathy with engagement, annihilating isolation with connection, grinding my boot on the neck of negativity, and heaving the broken up and out of deficient systems that do not embody a demonstrated, real-time awe for life. To collectively grow our world into awe, innovation, and satisfaction. You can learn more about me and my work at GetUpNation.com and IdealStateConsulting.com. Thank you for listening.